It's the Old Testament reading from this past Sunday, uh, Genesis 22, the story of uh, Abraham's faith being tested. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Well, the Bible... uh, teaches us, you guys know this, the Bible teaches us that we are saved uh, purely by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. Galatians 2.16, Paul says, we know that a person is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Uh, We're saved by faith alone. This is uh, not anything that probably most of you haven't heard before. Uh, The question though is, How do you know if you have real saving faith? How do you know if the faith that you have in Jesus Christ is enough? If you really believe, after all, a lot of times people doubt, people have doubts that go through their mind, people waver in their behavior and in their faith. How do you know if you're really, really trusting Jesus enough to be saved? Abraham was saved by faith too. Hebrews 11 verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The chapter that we just read about in Genesis 22 is a test of Abraham's faith in God. And God tested him, 
Abraham believed. He offered up Isaac. God saved Isaac, provided a lamb for himself. And Abraham's faith was vindicated. Do you have this much faith? Do you have the faith of Abraham? If God told you to kill one of your kids, would you trust God enough to do it? Uh, No, you wouldn't. Mainly because most of you know that if you heard a voice telling you to kill one of your kids, you would know it's not God. What's the difference then? I remember when I was in college, I worked at, uh, well, I worked at, it doesn't matter where, it was a place in in Alton, and a woman who came in one Monday morning, and she was Roman Catholic, and she said that her priest had, she was telling the office that her priest had preached on this text uh, the Sunday before, and she said, I just don't have enough faith. I don't, there's no way I could do what Abraham did. That's just off the charts faith, and I'll never have that much faith. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird, uh, I probably didn't think that then, but like in reflecting upon that now, it's a weird way to think about it. Like, she probably does have enough faith. The question isn't how much faith you have. And the question is, what's the difference between us and Abraham? What's the difference between Abraham's faith and our faith? That difference between Abraham trusting God here in Genesis 22 and why you and I wouldn't do what Abraham did can help us tonight understand the nature of saving faith. It can help us understand what saving faith really is. So let's get into it. Abraham's faith that when God told him to kill his son, he could go ahead and do it. And you should never ever do that if somebody says to you, any voice in your head says you should kill your kids, you should never ever do that. The difference is this. In Genesis 15, one through five, God said to Abram, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Abraham didn't have any kids. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. This guy working for me, Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to be, he's going to get my property when I go because I don't have any kids. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said this, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Isaac had not been born yet, and God is promising him, you are going to have a son, and that son will be your heir. And God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a kid. You're not biologically able to have kids at this point, you or your wife. I'm going to give you this kid, and that kid is going to have so many kids that the stars in the sky would be an approximate way to number them. So Abraham had this promise straight from God's mouth. I'm going to give you this offspring. And then God did give him the offspring. It's against all sorts of biological and physical laws. Abraham and Sarah got the child of promise. So this is the main difference. Look in this... The main difference is is that Abraham knew that Isaac was not going to die. Abraham knew that even when God said, go kill your son, that Isaac was bulletproof because God had promised him that Isaac is your kid and there's gonna be tons and tons of nations that come from you through Isaac. And he knew there's no way God's gonna back down on that promise. God says to, uh, well, the book of Hebrews says to us, chapter 11, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises, the promises of getting a son, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. See what the, the, the preacher of Hebrews does. Abraham was going to offer up his only son through whom it was promised that the offspring would come to bless the whole world. Abraham knew there's no way Isaac's going to die. Verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So even if God had let Abraham go through with it and kill Isaac, Abraham was convinced God's just going to raise him up from the dead. God promised me Isaac, Isaac will live. He cannot be destroyed because God's promise is tied up in him. Which, the writer of Hebrews says, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He basically was dead. He was laying on an altar about to be killed. It was almost a resurrection from the dead. Here's the point. And I'll explain this as we go along. Saving faith is about this. It's not the subject of your faith. It's the object of your faith. And I'll tell you what I mean as we go along. Let me say it one more time. Saving faith is not about the subject of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. We're going to use Abraham as a way to test this out. Everybody has faith. It's impossible to live without believing in something. I know sometimes uh, agnostics and atheists will say, I heard, a con- I heard a conversation with the atheist, British atheist A.C. Grayling recently where he just said, you have to understand, atheists don't have faith. Atheism, they don't believe in anything. We have ration and reason. We don't work on faith. And the person he was talking to, very as a Christian, this is sort of a, 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 a podcast debate, very calmly explained to him, no, you do have faith. Everybody has faith. It's impossible to live without believing in some sort of thing to live for. Even if it's like believing in the word of others. Even if you just simply believe that my wife said she's going to be faithful to me, she's going to be faithful to me. Even if it's as simply as believing when I drive down the street, I know that the cars who are coming in the oncoming direction are not going to steer into me. It's an act of faith. It's not ration. It's not reason. There's nothing rational that says cars have to stay in their lane. Sometimes they don't. It's an act of faith. Larger issues than that, of course, are the big issues. Belief that if I have more money, I'll be happier. If I can just be financially successful, I'll be happy. That's a faith issue. It's not a rational or reasonable issue. In fact, ration would tell you otherwise if you talk to enough people who have more money than you who would tell you I'm not any happier than you are. It's a faith issue. Freedom, the belief that if I can be free, if I can do what I want to do, if I can make my own choices, that somehow that I will be happier. The belief that romance can make you happy. The belief that if you can find that one special somebody, that you will finally be happy and satisfied. All of these are not necessarily about God or worship or praying, but they're acts of faith which every single human being lives on. It's impossible to get out of bed in the morning without believing that there's some reason to get out of bed in the morning. And whatever that reason is, you come to that reason with a faith commitment. This is a little bit different than Christian faith, of course. But the reality is, is this. We'll get to the Christian faith in a second. If you believe in the wrong thing, having a strong faith is actually bad news. If you believe in the wrong thing, really believing in the wrong thing is worse than if you had a weak faith. It's not about your faith. It's not about the strength of your faith. The strength of your faith, some people are like really good at believing. We call the people naive sometimes. Some people are kind of skeptical and they'll commit, but they need some more time. They need some more, they need a little bit more time to ease into it and kind of feel their way through whatever it is, the 
the job or the relationship or whatever it is they're in. But in either case, the strength of their faith isn't the value. What's valuable is if you believe in the right thing. If you have a choice between two women to marry and you really, really believe that the woman who is eventually going to leave you and abandon you and cheat on you is the right one, the strength of your faith doesn't help that relationship out at all. You've put the strength of your faith in somebody who's unreliable. What matters is not the subject, that's you, that's me, it's not the subject of our faith that has value biblically or even in real life. It's the object of our faith. It's what do you place your faith in? You might really, really think that you're bulletproof, but that's gonna get you killed if you live out on that faith, even if it's a strong faith. It's better if you had a weak faith in that moment. Back to Genesis 22. If you believed that killing your child would please God, you would do a horrible evil even if it was based on your strong belief in what you thought God wanted. The God that you would be believing in would not be the real God. This, by the way, bonus, bonus information. This is why postmoderns are so cynical. I'll throw myself in this category as well. This is why people are so cynical these days. It's because there's, most postmoderns realize that there's nothing to believe in. Most postmoderns, especially postmoderns who grew up post-2008, know that the promises of the American financial system are hollow. Most postmoderns know, they've tried out the whole romance thing and they know this doesn't actually make me really happy. Most postmoderns know that getting respect and having a job promotion and getting my own house and all those things, those don't actually fulfill me. And if you don't believe in God, which our culture doesn't, what is there left to believe in? Nothing. And so meaningless and hopelessness. Like I said, this might be closer to the, this might be closer to the truth. Postmodern cynicism might be closer to the kingdom of God than some sort of vague 1950s era optimistic that Americans can make me happy and if I just work hard, I can get rich and be upwardly mobile. It's not about the subject of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. So it's not the strength of Abraham. So this is what I'm trying to say. It's not the strength of Abraham's faith that's being tested. The text actually is pretty uninterested in that question. Like the text never says, God doesn't say, Abraham, do you really, really believe deep down? To listen to, 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 to many Christian writers these days, that's actually the emphasis they place on this. I've, I've told you guys this before. If you can pick up, not to bash on this guy, but if you pick up John MacArthur's study Bible and look at his notes on 1 John, he'll give you a handy-dandy 15 to 20-point checklist to see if you really, really believe. Much of the evangelical world has been very informed uh, by Jonathan Edwards' affections of the heart. How do you know you're really a Christian? Do you have genuine, deep-down affection for the gospel and for Jesus? It completely misses the biblical point. Jonathan Edwards is smarter than all of us put together. But this sort of notion where if I can look down deep inside myself and figure out, do I really believe in Jesus? Do I have real faith? It's completely misguided. And in fact, it's quite dangerous. Deep diving on our own sinful heart can only lead to despair. It can only lead to thinking, I'm not good enough. I don't have the faith of Abraham. I don't even have the faith of like, the lowest Christian I know. Stop looking at the subject and start looking at the object. Do you have enough faith in Jesus? It's the wrong question. 
It makes you the subject. It takes you the subject and makes you the object. You don't want to be the object. Because if you start looking at your heart, you'll realize you're not good enough. So what does it come down to? Abraham believed God. It had nothing to do with the strength of Abraham's faith. It had to do with what he believed. God had told Abraham, if you give up your one and only son, I promise you, he will not die. He will live. Abraham believed that. God hasn't told any of you in here that if you kill your child, that that child will not die but live. So that's not what you're going to, that, that, that's not your object. That was Abraham's object. What's your object? Your object is Isaac's greater son. Your object is that, here's the word of God for me and you to believe. God didn't say to you, if you sacrifice your only son, he will live. He said, if I sacrifice my only son, you will live. The object of our faith is not your faith. Sometimes Lutherans make this mistake, it's a bad one. We believe in salvation by faith, so we believe that we're saved by faith in our faith. We're not saved by faith in our faith. We're saved by faith in Jesus. This word, to, this word from God to us that if you believe in his one son, his only son, the son that he loves, that that son will live forever and that you will live forever is the word that we are to believe. So just to close, you might not believe in Jesus very much. Maybe you just barely believe in Jesus. Maybe your faith in Jesus isn't that strong at all. Maybe you only have enough faith to say, God, help my unbelief. Jesus, I don't have faith in you. Will you give me faith? Maybe the faith that you have in Jesus is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest thing ever. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is. What matters is, is it in Jesus? Is it in the right object? And if it is, the message of Genesis 22, the message of Isaac and Abraham, and Abraham's great offspring and Isaac's son, Jesus, the message of the gospel is that that's enough. Jesus saves you based upon your faith in him, however tiny it might be.